When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 11 of our study, Exodus the Great Rescue. And this, as I have said, is the number one story of the Israelites, the Hebrews. This is the one that they go back to all the time and say, this is when God rescued us. It is the central pinnacle story of the Old Testament. And then you have judges and kings and prophets and all that sort of thing leading up to Christ. But but this is the story. So it's worth it's worth spending a lot of time looking at it. We left, we left last Friday talking about this whole idea of Moses being a reluctant leader. Mo- Moses probably would have been just fine feeding Jethro's flocks out in Midian. But God came to him and said, I've chosen you to rescue my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And Moses has to take off his shoes. He's in holy ground in front before God in the burning bush. There is no question that Moses has to do this. This is the thing about free will. Moses could say no, but do you really want to say no to the creator of the universe? Do you really want to say no to the to the the God of the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can you can you would it be wise to say? Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it, but I'm not going to do it. Or, on the other hand, when God comes to you and says, you are the one I have chosen, you're going to do this, do you have to follow his lead? And this is the same is true in every aspect of our lives, in every person. If God were to come to you and say, I really believe that this is something that you should do, is it really wise to go against God? I think of my own life when when I felt the strong urging from God that I should go to the seminary and become a pastor. Do, could I really, I, I could have said no, but is it wise to say no to God? When God really lays it on your heart to do something, can you say no to God? No matter how difficult the journey may be, no matter how difficult the cost. is I, I've come to the conclusion in my life and I guess, what, I'm late 50s, so I can start looking back at my life and thinking about things that I've done and things I did well and things I didn't do well. But I believe I've come to the conclusion that going against the urges of God in your life is neither wise nor prudent. That when God calls you to do something and you feel with it in all of your heart that this is something that should be done, then you go and you do it and you leave the results of that to him. Because if he's really laid it on your heart to do it, then it's up to him then to make sure that all the pieces come together. We have come to the conclusion over the last couple years that God's called our church to open up a Christian school. And so we've done that. There are a lot of unknowns when it comes to that. But I honestly believe that if I've come to the conclusion that when God calls you to do something, that you have no choice, but you have to do it, and that he will come along beside you and provide the things that are necessary to do it, the resources, the people, the courage. Um, Anytime you do something that's not done before, 
you're going to have detractors. You're going to have people, and I'm not talking about school. I'm talking about anything in life. If you're moving in a path that you believe that needs to be done, you are going to get detractors. You're going to get people who say, no, you can't do that. It can't be done. That's that You shouldn't do that. There's this old famous saying that says, uh, the truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, it is accepted as being self-evident. And this is the same thing as if you're a, a leader in the world. As soon as you decide to go in a direction, people are going to ridicule and mock you. And then they're going to violently oppose you. And then eventually, when they see the success of that, they're going to they're going to accept it as self-evident. Like, of course, you had to do this. There's no question about it. But if you're the leader in these situations, then you have to fight through being ridiculed, and then you have to fight through the opposition. This is the natural things that happen in any leadership. We have to understand that because God has called his church to lead in the world. And as we lead in the world, we're going to be mocked. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be violently opposed. And then people are going to accept, well, of course, this is the way it should be. That's the, uh, that's the natural progression of Christianity in a culture. But there is a fourth progression. And the fourth progression is that the culture gets so comfortable with Christianity that they start becoming complacent and un not realizing the impact that Christianity had on the culture. Did you know that Christianity lived in China probably around 200 to 800 AD? If you go to some of the temples in China, you'll see Christian artwork, fishes and all crosses and all sorts of things. I don't know if there's crosses, but I know there's fishes. And there, apparently Christianity spread over to Asia and was in China for a long time. And then if it got complacent and, and then other people took over and Christianity went away. And now you've got other religions in China. And you do wonder about Europe, if that's going to be conquered by other religions and if even the United States would be conquered by religions. Because people, we don't, we don't really toot our own horn about how great Christianity is. But Christianity is a phenomenally good system of religion. It's not even, it's, it's the system of living your life. And when it's gone, you will miss it if it, is, if it ever leaves. It, it, you will miss it because it is all on grace and love. And most other, every other religion that's out there is not based on grace and love. It's based upon power and following the rules. And it only goes so far. So the church is called to lead in a world. And we are now called because of Christianity in the United States. We're called to, be, to lead in a very unique and challenging way that nobody knows yet because no Christians had to leave, lead into the next century. Christianity has been the dominant force in the United States for two, 500 years since its founding. We've been the dominant force in the United States. But now there's, there's this belief that Christianity, there's this sense that Christianity is becoming an outsider and that we're no longer leading in the world of the United States. And that's, that's because people think that Christianity is too much about power, too much about money, too much about influence, and not enough about Jesus. So we as a church have to return to our roots to make Christianity about Jesus and his way of life and his love and happiness and just be the people that he's called us to be. And to lead through that is going to be a challenge for all Christians. For every Christian, we are going to have to learn new ways and methods 
of leading the world for Jesus. Because the way that has led for the last, well, in my lifetime, has not worked. The, the Christian church in the United States started declining probably about 50 years ago. So maybe it's because I was born. <laughs> maybe that's why we're declining. No, who knows? But but people still need Jesus and people still need the the hope of the gospel and people still need churches and people still need God's presence in our life. It's just going to look a lot different. And that's going to take leadership in all levels of Christianity. And we are going to be reluctant leaders. We're going to be ridiculed, uh, and then we're going to be violently opposed, and then it's going to be accepted as self-evident. And I don't even know what it is that it's going to be accepted as self-evident. But as God leads us into the 21st century, I have every confidence in the world that he will rise up the right people at the right locations at the right time to lead his church and to do the things that he wants his church to do. I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely convinced of that. And for that, we're going to need leaders. We're going to need leaders like Moses. We're going to need leaders that come to the burning bush, and God's going to say, I want you to do this. And it may not be a burning bush. It may be a strong sense that in some people where God is going to tell them, listen, this is something you really, really, really need to do. And I will be with you every step of the way. And yeah, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be violently opposed, but when it's done, people are going to realize that this was the right path to go. And God is going to raise up Moseses in our church, in in the Christian church in the world, that are going to help lead us into new directions. And Luther was one of those leaders. Martin Luther felt absolutely convicted by God that this was the direction he needed to go. And he was ridiculed initially, and then he was violently opposed. He was, uh, he had to be sequestered away into a castle, and Junker, Junker George, he was Knight George in this castle because everybody in Europe was trying to find Luther to kill him because of his revolutionary things. And then, of course, it becomes self-evident. Well, of course, he had to do the Reformation because the, because the Roman Catholic Church was broken and the Reformation helped fix not only Europe, but the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And there have been other times in history when we should have had Reformations and they haven't happened. But we are in the middle of a Reformation now, I'll tell you that. And God's going to rise up Luther's. And he's going to rise up Melanchthon's. He's going to rise up Chemnitz's. He's going to rise up people. These are all famous Reformation figures that you study when you go into the seminary. He's rising up all these people to to do the work that he wants to do in his church. And it's going to require leadership. And Moses is just like all of us. Moses is a reluctant leader. God told Moses what to do. And Moses says, I don't think so. I don't think so. The last thing Moses says, well, is I, I, I can't speak. And Moses is like, well, who gave you your mouth? Who gave you... Uh, who gives you? Who gives people the ability to speak or sight or blind? It is I, the Lord. I'm telling you, I want you to do this. Now go. And that's kind of where we left it up on Friday. And, and so we're just going to continue reading because Moses is not there yet. Verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. All right. I'm going to give you everything you need. You're going to do it. It's going to be fine. Go. I gave you your mouth. I'm telling you to do this. I'm the Lord God that created the universe. You got to do it. And Moses is like, but just send someone else. I don't want to do it. 
So verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, well, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help you both of you speak and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So it's, it's, God's not going to let Moses off the hook here. He could have easily come to Aaron and said, Aaron, you've got this great tongue. You go and do this. But there was something about Moses that God saw in him that he wanted Moses to lead the people. He didn't want Aaron. If he wanted Aaron, he would have shown up to Aaron's life and said, I want you. But no, he went to Moses. Moses couldn't speak. Moses had some gifts, but other gifts he didn't have. And so God kind of brought alongside Moses other people. This is an important leadership thing, is that sometimes God calls you to do something and you say, God, I don't have the ability. Or how about this? God, I, I have some abilities. I agree with that. But there are a lot of other things that I'm just horrible at and that I cannot do. And God, I just can't do those things. And that's when God needs to then come up with other people in your life to help uh, help these leaders to, to be able to be rounded and to be able to have the skill set that they don't have. And they, so God brings along other people in the skill set. And it really, there is no one perfect leader except Jesus. Jesus was a perfect leader <laughs> and he had nothing. He had no money. He wasn't well-known. He wasn't well-spoken. He didn't come from the greatest schools. He's not like the Apostle Paul that studied with Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest leaders at Paul's time. Jesus was this simple hick from a hick town that nobody knew, had no pedigree, had no background. As a matter of fact, some people still were talking about how he may not even, his father and mother may have had him before they were even married. And so this is the things going against Jesus. He had zero power influence. And yet, because he was God, he was able to gather around him 12 men who changed the world, who we still follow Jesus today because of who he was. But Jesus is the only perfect leader. All the rest of us, all the rest of his church are imperfect. We don't have all the skill sets. But with all the church, we do have all the skill sets. This is what Paul says. Paul says, some of you are arms, some of you are legs, some of you are heads, some of you are fingernails, some of you are toenails. Uh, but with all of the parts of the body, we can do the stuff that God wants us to do. But it does take leadership. There are times when God calls people to lead. And leading is difficult. And Leading requires, at times, change. Leading requires doing things that haven't been done before. Leading requires fighting against powers that don't want things to change. So there is a lot of stress in leadership. So I can understand why Moses doesn't want to lead. I mean, could you imagine that you are the person that God chooses to go into Pharaoh's court and say, let my people go? And is that going to go well? I would say most people, if it, if it wasn't for an experience in the burning bush, nobody else 
of the Hebrews would have gone into the face of Pharaoh and said, let my people go, because Pharaoh would have killed them. And Moses knows this. He lived in Pharaoh's court. He saw how Pharaoh dealt with people. So, <laughs> so he knows that the only way that he can go in front of Pharaoh and ask for his people to go is if God is by his side. But now Moses has seen in the burning bush that God is by his side, so he has no choice. He has to do this. He argues, he argues, he argues. God doesn't let him off the hook. He doesn't pick Aaron. He says, you know, if you have to speak words, let Aaron speak the words, but I'm putting you in charge. You're going to do this. You are the leader I have chosen. This is you. <laughs> so God bless Moses. He, uh, he has to do that. And we'll keep reading. Verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. So finally, finally, Moses agrees that he cannot fight God. He has to do what God has called him to doing. And so he, <laughs> he goes to his father-in-law. Remember, Moses married Jethro's daughter, and now he's going to go back to, it appears that he has resigned himself to do what it's going to. This, this is, at some point, all leaders do this. this. And leadership isn't just in the church. Leadership is in business. Leadership is in your family. Leadership is in this world. There are times when you fight and you go against what you think that needs to be done because you're not sure you have enough skill to do it or enough strength to do it. And then finally, you resign yourself to do it. I'm thinking about uh, in my own life. I remember my mother-in-law <laughs> saying, when are you going to have children? Jennifer and I have been married. I was married when I was 25, I believe, 26. I was 26. Jennifer was 24 when we got married. And um, after a couple years, <clears throat> she said, uh, what, when, when are you going to have children? <laughs> and I said, well, we're going to have children when we have enough money to have children. When I got my life together. And I remember her looking at me saying, yeah, you know, you're never going to have your life together. <laughs> if you wait till you have your life together, you're never going to have children. And that was really quite, a, quite wise words. And so, you know, we, we started having a family. But part of the problem is, and I think it's part of the problem in our world today, is we don't create leaders, we create followers. We live in a world that has so much regulation here in the United States that that there are <laughs> there are many, many people who are who are followers and not leaders. And if you want to be, if you want to have a family, if you if a, if a man and a woman or a young you know young man and a woman come together and they're going to have children, that's a scary thing for most people. It, it's it's a real for me as a guy, it was a really, really scary thing. It meant that I had to, then take leadership and ownership of this family to make sure that we would get through things. And that's just scary. I mean, it's really scary. It was scary for me. I mean, I guess I knew that we would make it, but it was still a little bit scary. But I wonder about today's youth, you know, these young boys and girls today, because you talk to a lot of them and they're saying like, well, we're just, we're just not going to have kids. We, we're not sure that we can do that. We're not sure that we're cut out to be parents. And so you see a lot of people, you know, in this younger generation, it's like, we don't want to have kids. And the, the thing is, is that apparently the replacement rate in the United States, the natural replacement rate in the United States is plummeting. Just so many 
so many young couples are getting married. They like that idea. Some of them aren't getting married, but you know, the idea of having kids, that's kind of a strange and, you know, fearsome thing to think about. And yet we know that, that, uh, the greatest gift that God gives us to have is to have kids and to lead our family and to, to lead our children and to, to love our children and to, to be like gods to our children. That's what Moses said, or that's what God told Moses. He says, you are going to be like a God to, to Aaron. You're going to be in charge. He's going to follow you as if you were God. Every word that you say, Aaron is going to be bound to do because I put you in charge. You're the one that saw the burning bush. And so I'm going to make you the leader. And I believe that 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 there are people that need to lead their families, that God's going to, to say, I'm going to be with you. This is all going to work out, but you're going to be, you're going to do this and you're going to help humanity grow and get, uh, you know, do the things that I want humanity to do. Moses is a reluctant leader, but he finally does go back to his father-in-law and says, I'm going to go do this. And his father-in-law says, go, I wish you well. We'll continue reading. Verse 19. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. So we don't think about this very much. We just think about Moses, but Moses is married. He's got sons. I'm sure, have you ever had children? I mean, if you have a wife and sons and you have a comfortable life, why in the world would you jeopardize the relationship with your wife and your sons and go back to Egypt? This is, I'm very impressed by Moses. I truly am. Because he fi- well, it took a lot of force of God to do this. But, but Moses finally reluctantly takes his, decides to take his wife and his sons and he's going to go to Egypt and he's doing the thing that God's called him to do. And he's reluctant. He doesn't want to do it. But when God tells you to do something, you have to do it. And there are things in this world that God tells us to do. For, for example, for, for in the garden, what were the two commands he told Adam and Eve? He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And Adam and Eve were fruitful and they multiplied. Those commands still apply to mankind. We are called to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. That is, that is our prime, that is our pre-fall command from God is to be fruitful and multiply. You don't take those commands very lightly. I'm so grateful for my mother-in-law. It's like, get with it. <laughs> and we did. We have four kids. And the first one is the hardest, right? And then the second and third, and by the fourth one, it's like, what? We have another kid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would have done more. I really would have done more, but God didn't lead us to do more. He, he said four is enough. And four wasn't enough. Four is a great, great size for our family. And uh, I'm very, I feel very blessed to have those arrows in my quiver. All right. So um, I think we'll leave it now because, because now the story is going to, now it's, now we're going to see some really interesting things in this story. Now that Moses has resigned himself to go back to Egypt, he is, he is going, but it's not all a bed of roses. It's, uh, it's anything but a bed of roses. But God's on his side. God's called him, so he's got to do what God's called him to do. So I think we'll uh, leave it there. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, uh, thank you for this beautiful day. But Lord, uh, 
when you lead people, it can be very difficult. So we thank you that you walk beside and you provide the resources to get the things done that you want done. Help us always to be faithful to your calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.